Good morning, MUIDN. I'm Yumin from 1205, and I'm here in the studio today with Ty. We're from the Broadcasting Club, and we're here every Wednesday from 7.45 to 8.15, so don't forget to tune in for your weekly content and entertainment. And as a reminder that if any teachers are listening at this point, we know you are in a meeting right now because it's Wednesday. So feel free to switch on the PA system in your rooms. You can do that by using the neat little volume knob right next to one of your doors. Well, other than that, this is our first session with a YouTube live stream. So watch out for that as we come on and check it over. Check us over at MUIDS Broadcast Club, which we have posted a link to in the Homeroom Hub inline group. Enjoy your Wednesdays anywhere from in the world. Other than that, you can now listen to us over at the official MUIDS Press website, which is eventually going to go live. So stay tuned for that as well. Again, well, for those of you who've just come, I'm human and this is no, this is not human. Oh my god, what am I even doing? I'm human and the other guy's talking is time. Yeah, see, my brain is fried. I slept four hours today. Anyway, let's move on so no one remembers this. Okay, so on to our announcements. Today is day C, and the one exams are starting next week. So if you have any stress, our counselors are available and are willing to listen. The quote of the week for today is, just believe in yourself. Even if you don't, pretend that you do, and at some point, you will. This is from Venus Williams, the first African-American number one tennis player in the modern era. Okay, so that's interesting and all, but let's move on to the next thing, which is an article from the New York Times. However, before we move on to that article, I would like to say happy birthday to A. Pelissa from 1205. So if you see her around school today, don't forget to tell her happy birthday. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. I'm going to be sure to say hi. Anyway, to our regularly scheduled programming, which is an article from the New York Times, and it's about the iPhone and how it's now USB-C, which is interesting, actually. I personally like that it's like this. Anyway, let, let's start the article. So... Every September for the past decade, Apple has gathered media from all around the world for a marketing event that celebrates the creative achievements behind the newest iPhones. It has hyped the shine of the iPhone's exterior, sculpting around its camera and the power of its processors. But this year, Apple's team of special designers and engineers has bent their creative process and marketing excellence to the design demands of European regulators who passed a rule making it mandatory to include USB-C charging across almost all electronic devices. And on a Tuesday, Apple revealed that its newest product line, the iPhone 15, will drop the company's proprietary lightning ports in favor of European-mandated USB-C ports. This means that Apple's newest iPhones will now feature a charging plug that is slightly bigger and rounder than its predecessor, yet still capable of delivering a quite a fast charge. By the way, for those who want to know, the rule was aimed at reducing electronic waste and saving consumers money by making the ports compatible across a variety of electronic devices. 
Though Apple resisted the change, warning that government mandates could slow or stop innovation, it will make it possible to use the same USB-C cable that powers a Mac to charge an iPhone, well, at least usually. In addition to the iPhone, Apple also unveiled its new AirPods Pro with a USB-C charging case. The change speaks to how regulators are changing Apple's business. Apple has positioned itself as the primary gatekeeper for more than 1 billion iPhone users worldwide by building ultra-customized hardware and services into an ecosystem which no one else can get into through third-party services. To reach Apple's customers, app developers have given the company as much as a 30% cut of their sales, and accessory companies have paid high fees to make cords with lightning ports. But because of rising concerns about tech companies' power over the global economy, governments have passed rules and issued warnings that forced Apple to open up. In Europe, a new antitrust law will actually require that Apple allows the sale of iPhone apps outside of its app store. In the United States, regulators are investigating the company's practice of blocking others from using the iPhone's tap-to-pay ability. And in China, there is a government crackdown on employees' uses of iPhones at work. The government challenges are hitting Apple at the same time it is trying to reignite its business. Falling sales of iPads and Macs have sparked its most prolonged period of underperformance since 2016. iPhone purchases, which account for more than half of total revenue, are slowing, and the sale of apps and services could be clipped by government regulations. And according to Mike Frazier, president of Bethel Frazier Investment Counseling, an investment firm in Walnut Creek, California, Apple is a victim of its own success, and everyone is going after the big targets in tech. Well, in addition to the USB-C port, Apple has also highlighted other improvements with the iPhone 15, including better cameras and smaller borders around the screen. It's two high-end Pro models, which now start at $999, or equivalent to approximately 41,900 Thai baht, feature a lighter titanium body and processors made with cutting-edge manufacturing processes that the company says significantly increases performance. Apple has also replaced the mute switch on previous models with a new button that can be pressed to use the phone's camera or start an audio recording. The high-end phones also have the ability to record three-dimensional video, which can be viewed in the augmented reality headset that Apple will release next year. Other than that, Apple has also raised the price on the iPhone Pro Max, their top model, by 9% to $1,199, equivalent to Thai 43,000 baht. The larger phone features the lineup's most sophisticated camera with a five-fold optical zoom, which contributed to the first price increase for the iPhone lineup in five years. The iPhone 15 base models, which cost $799 and $899, or $25,000 and $32,500 respectively, also now adopt many of the features available on last year's iPhone Pro models, including last year's processor and the dynamic island, which is a toolbar at the top of the screen.
This year's entire iPhone lineup offers wireless charging. And Gene Munster, managing partner at Deepwater Assets Management, an investment and research firm based in Minneapolis, has stated that this is underwhelming. But for the average person with a three to four year old phone, this is enough of an upgrade. In addition to this, Apple has also complemented the new iPhone lineup with updates to its Apple Watch offerings. An updated processor and software development allows people who wear its latest watch, also known as the Series 9 smartwatch, to answer phone calls by tapping their thumb and index fingers together twice. It has built the watch as its first carbon neutral product, saying that it is made with 100% clean energy, carbon offsets, and smaller packaging to cut the emissions associated with shipping their products. The Apple Watch Ultra, which is aimed to outdoor enthusiasts, features a brighter screen and a greater altitude range. It also offers new capabilities for cyclists who want to connect to other devices that measure performance. Apple unveiled the products in Cupertino, California, at the Steve Jobs Theater, the 1,000-seat underground auditorium on the company's campus. The venue was packed with journalists and employees. Millions more tuned in online to watch the infomercial that Apple made for its new products. Tim Cook, Apple's chief executive, used the iPhone event to remind customers about its new augmented reality headset, which is unveiled in June ahead of a release next year. But even after the headset's release next year, the iPhone will still likely drive Apple's business. After all, the company sells more than 200 million iPhones annually, and they usually gross a combined about 200 million US dollars. Though sales of its devices are slightly down this year, actually, the iPhone has expanded its dominance in the smartphone market. It has increased the percentage of total smartphones sold around the world. In the United States, a statistic says that total smartphones sold make, sorry, iPhones make up 50 or more percent of total smartphones sold, which is up from 41% in 2018, according to CounterPost research. And next, let's move on to our actual concept for today, which is about studying better for exams. Because as you all may know, quarter exam season is coming up and we want you to be prepared. We are going to share the significance of effective studying and make sure to share your opinions on our broadcast today on our Instagram at M-U-I-D-S broadcast or on the Google form. By the way, the Google form is available on our social media or in the line group from MUIDS. But regarding that, let's move on to our content today, which is about the three learning styles, actually. We are going to explain the three different learning styles and give you examples of them. Okay, let's start off with visual learners. Visual learners are learners who instinctively are able to follow directions, can easily visualize objects in their minds, have a great sense of balance and excitement, and are 
often excellent organizers of concepts and ideas. And for them, the research has found that studying works best if they do it with slides, such as overhead slides, on whiteboards, smartboards, or PowerPoint presentations. Other than that, they're also quite adept at reading diagrams and handouts, or following distributed study guides, such as, I don't know, the ones the teachers may give you to study from. And after all, they're visual studiers, so they also benefit somewhat from reading from a textbook, even though this is not our main method that we recommend. And anyway, they might do better studying alone, though this is still widely debated today, so do what fits you best. The next type of learners are auditory learners, or learners that learn from listening. The qualities of these learners are that they understand subtle changes in a person's tone, as well as writing responses to lectures also help them study better. They also enjoy oral exams, storytelling, and solving difficult problems. And these type of learners tend to enjoy working in groups rather than alone. As for the best ways to learn if you're this type of learner is participating vocally in class, making recordings of class notes and listening to them later, and reading assignments out loud. Other than that, they also usually study in partners or groups because that is what they feel is best. And next, let's move on to the next thing. The next type of learner is called kinesthetic learner. And kinesthetic learners often have very good hand-eye coordination. And they're quick to receive stuff such as information and very good experimenters because they want to answer the question, why? Other than that, they're generally good at the arts, meaning sports, drama, arts, as in the drawing one, music, and many others. They also possess a higher level of energy than most other types of learners, actually. The best ways for them to learn are usually by conducting experiments, acting out stuff, such as a play, or acting out information or understanding it. Or other than that, they also are very good at studying while standing still or moving, such as when playing an athletic activity. I personally know some people who study while performing athletic activities, such as actually basketball. But other than that, another thing that's surprising actually, because I never actually knew this, is that they might, keyword is might here, benefit from doodling in lectures. So don't feel too bad if you can learn while doing that. But also consider what exactly you're doing, because I would not recommend it for everyone. So talking about everyone, everyone's unique, right? And that means that you're likely a combination of many styles. Next, we're going to talk about study groups. The study groups are a powerful tool to learn, and we're going to talk why. Firstly, study groups offer a diverse perspective on one topic. When you have many perspectives from many people, you can have many ways to solve problems. Example, truck stuck, for example, a truck stuck under the bridge. Different people would have different solutions to this problem. Yes, and 
I personally would solve it by deflating the pairs, but that's going to take forever to explain if you don't already understand, which I think most of you will if you know what a truck is. I don't, I didn't know what a truck was until I was four hours. So let's not talk about that. Anyway, let's move on to, I don't know, active engagement because it allows you to actually do something with the content instead of just straight up memorizing one equals one or four equals whatever. So the thing is, if you learn by, I don't know, asking each other questions, for example, if I ask human about what exactly you would have to do to get a chemical reaction, she would have to think and analyze the contents of something. Yes, definitely. Active engagement also helps you find weak spots in your knowledge. For example, you might not know this part of the topic, but your friend knows, so you can share. And the next, uh, next benefit of study groups are, is accountability. It forces you to stay on target, and you can say that it's a good variation of peer pressure. Yeah, indeed it is, because peer pressure is not that good. But if it helps you to study, if people ask about your studying, well, that is a good result. Anyway, moving on, you might be wondering, how exactly do you get good study groups? How exactly do you make efficient use of your time when studying with others? Well, we've compiled a, a few lists of what exactly you should do to study effectively. To start off with, you should have clear agendas and objectives for your study. So instead of going, we are going to study biology today, you should go. We are going to study about cells. We are going to understand about the cell wall, for example, today. And it's always best if instead of one person being the leader and everyone else just listening, that everyone participates. Because when they participate, many find it beneficial. Other than that, you should engage actively with the content. As discussed previously, you should be able to synthesize or create new things from the content you already know. For example, solving new problems in mathematics that just don't have the same exact form, or maybe solving word problems instead of normal equations. Well, that's all well and good, but another aspect of the study group is going to be covered by Yumin next. That aspect would be peer tutoring. Peer tutoring, you, you might have heard through the scoring hub because it is widely promoted in the school, is when you explain to each other, when you explain to each other or help each other learn. You teach each other to get better and find holes in your knowledge and fill them up. As Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. I feel like this is a very valuable way to learn and revise your knowledge. However, this is not for everyone. Your mileage may vary. So find, a, find the best way for yourself to study. Okay, that's all interesting, but we don't have just that content. Let's move on to something more. They are called SMART goals or the SMART goals. They are goals which help you develop ideas into actions successfully. For example, you have specific goals. 
we have well-defined goals that answer the questions such as what, why, and how. And other than that, we also have measurable goals, which are goals where you can track progress, such as pages understood, flashcards memorized, and maybe like, I don't know, questions you can answer in a math exam. That works as well. But anyway, if we just have specific goals, we also need to make them timely and achievable, meaning that they are realistic and you can actually get to them so you can stay motivated. It's not like you can be the leader of the universe, right? Yeah. And okay, next we're going to talk about relevant goals. They're the goals that actually help you to achieve your target. Meaning that, for example, I say, I want to go to medical school. Instead of setting a goal like, I can eat 20 hot dogs in a minute, I instead set a goal like, I want to finish my portfolio within this week, which is an actual goal of mine, actually. Anyway, other than that, goals should also be relevant, which means that they're aligned with someone's broader objectives and priorities in life. For example, going to medical school. And now we're going to go talk about time management, which may be a problem that many people struggle with. Because I do as well. I do as well. Um, so what is time? We're going to suggest creating a study schedule and address handling the distractions and staying consistent. <laughs> yeah, consistent. Oh my God. Everyone in the studio is laughing at this point. Anyway. Let's talk about staying consistent and maybe introduce some time management techniques as well if we have the time ourselves. So let's just go over the first one today. It's the Eisenhower matrix, which is the matrix which you have for quadrants. So the Eisenhower matrix organized four quadrants of tasks based on urgency and prioritizing your the most significant one. So firstly, the first quadrant, which is the most urgent and important quadrant. So this, you should organize tasks that are urgent and important, obviously, such as impending deadlines, critical assignments, and emergencies. These tasks require immediate attention and top priority. The second quadrant is not urgent, but still important. For example, long-term goals or projects that are due in three months. And other than that, we also have quadrant four, which is not urgent and not important, which includes tasks that are not actually needing of immediate attention, nor contribute to long-term goals. And they're usually time-wasting activities, or at least according to the matrix, time-wasting activities, which use an excessive amount of time, such as maybe unproductive meetings. And, you know, it's important to minimize these activities when you're strapped with time. But when you have a lot of time, I, unlike us, actually, because we're ending in a few minutes, yet we're not through the script yet. Anyways, when you have a lot of time, yeah, you're welcome to do those things. Okay. So maybe the broadcast team is the one who needs time management. Anyway, that's all we have for today. Remember that you can always contact us via the Google form or Instagram at MUIDS Broadcast. And again, thank you for listening in and see you next Wednesday. 
And lastly, don't forget to study and good luck on all your exams you have coming up. And have a wonderful day. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.